0: This podcast is not an official production of Gymnastics Australia. It is an independent production by Rowan Kennedy. The comments and opinions of Rowan or his guests are their own and should in no way be interpreted as representing Gymnastics Australia unless otherwise stated. Welcome to episode 78 of the Men's Gymnastics Australia podcast and thank you to the many who have downloaded and listened to the podcast over the last couple of weeks. As I've mentioned previously, I've been wanting to bring you some interviews with key individuals within the community to give you a broader perspective of gymnastics than just my perspective. So this week, I'm very excited to bring you an interview with Tyson Bull. For those who are not familiar with Tyson, he is currently the only Australian male gymnast who has qualified for the Tokyo Olympic Games. Tyson spent his junior years training in Melbourne and competing for Victoria before relocating to continue his tertiary education in the American college system where he was on a gymnastics scholarship with the University of Illinois. Towards the back end of his studies, he qualified for his first world championships in 2017 and again in 2018 where he placed 11th on horizontal bar. Tyson returned to Australia in early 2019, where he based himself in Canberra at the National Centre of Excellence and has been training under the watchful eye of Vladimir Vatkin, who was the coach of 2006 Horizontal Bar World Champion and two-time Olympian Philippe Rizzo. At Tyson's third World Championships last year in Stuttgart, Germany, he made the Horizontal Bar Apparatus Final, which secured his ticket to Tokyo. In this interview, we spend our time reflecting on the last 12 months, and in particular, his Olympic journey. I hope you enjoy. I would like to welcome to the podcast for the first time, Tyson Bull.
1: Thanks for having me, Ron.
0: No problem. Great you could uh, join us today, and I'm sure we've got a large audience so looking forward to uh, hearing uh, about your olympic journey and what's happening at the moment and how training has uh, has changed for you as it has for everyone in these times. So of course we need to start by saying congratulations on your selection for Tokyo for the Tokyo Olympic Games. What a wonderful achievement for you personally, your coach Vladimir Vatkin and also our men's national program. The the first thing I want to ask you is if you've had a chance to reflect celebrate or process your olympic game selection i i ask this because i assume for you qualification makes up a larger goal or makes up part of a larger goal which is actually to compete at the games yet for us in australia your family and your friends we celebrated this selection as though it was the end of the journey how, how about you what's the reflection process been for you
1: yeah it's an interesting uh way to put it to be honest um obviously after uh that night of qualification um uh I still had finals to look forward to in five days and so not really a lot of time to celebrate and but uh I think it probably took me about forty eight hours to like even wrap my head around it i didn't probably didn't sleep that night um the next night, maybe a few hours. I was like back into um getting ready for high bar finals in a few days but um after world championships and coming home um for the most part it still felt like a a really distant dream that like I knew I had for the most part locked in but couldn't quite wrap my head around that it was real um and yeah, I guess I got to go home after Worlds and go back to Melbourne and and hang out with some family and friends and that was pretty awesome. Like congratulations from everyone and uh it's still been honestly a bit of an ongoing process with uh like Olympics at the time still what 9 or 10 months away and um still such a long way to go and now another 15 months, but um yeah it definitely took a lot of processing and um yeah
0: well, that's good. um, I'm pleased you had the chance to have that time with family and friends and reflect um did you know at the time that making the world championship high bar final would be enough to get you through, or was when did you realize that you had actually done enough to get that quota position?
1: yeah, so I remember. Quite clearly, um, we were pretty, uh, like we knew exactly what I had to do basically to um lock in that spot, and basically, that was um, as long as I made the high bar final and that there were only there were less than three of us that weren't in qualified teams already, then it was basically locked in, and so um, looking. Like once qualifications had finished and looking at the high bar final, it was only me and uh, the Croatian Tin um that weren't in teams that had already qualified. So straight away we knew, um, yeah, that I was in, and um, yeah, that was pretty, pretty crazy time watching that qualification finish up.
0: So that, um, because that's different to each, each apparatus, as you mentioned, you knew because, uh, there were other gymnasts who were part of teams that are qualified where I think the rings final, um, uh, you basically had an Olympic champion who placed, I think he placed fourth on rings and still didn't qualify for the Olympic games. And, and at this point in time still hasn't qualified.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, I guess yeah that was the benefit of um, having uh, strong high bar competitors in strong teams I guess when you had other events like rings like you said and vault where um, making the final didn't mean automatic qualification they still had to be in basically the top three guys outside of the teams that are qualified so that was the advantage of making a high bar final in that sense.
0: And did you feel any release of pressure um, that knowing that you had achieved your, your ultimate goal of making the, those Olympic Games um, in, in, when it comes to not having to have to actually finish in the top three uh, in that final as much as you want to or you go out there to perform your best the extra the extra level of pressure of having to be in that top 3 was that uh that must have been a a nice release for you
1: oh absolutely um i remember the pressure of uh qualification was just probably one of the craziest things i've had to deal with um in my career um and so i think from like feeling like having to throw up before going out before qualific- qualification and then um, finals was more of a cherry on top, go out there and um, basically give it everything I've gotten. Whatever happens, happens. Um, yeah, so it was definitely a bit of um, a pressure release going into that final, even though it didn't quite turn out how I would like to. The main goal was uh, completed. So yeah, for sure.
0: Hmm. so you, you spoke about pressure and the most pressure you've been under it was in qualification uh is there any other moment in your career that you can think about uh be it in college in the u.s uh or be it at the previous year's world championships that you can think of that has come close to that pressure
1: um i think almost i'd probably go back to my college days um in the team competitions. Um, yeah. So in NCAA, in the championships um, conference and NCAAs uh, it's five up, five count on each event. So every score um, is counting and your teammates are relying on you just as you are them and you're trying to kill it yourself. So um, when you have a like sixteen other of your best mates um relying on you to hit a routine for um a group championship. It's uh it's a lot of pressure as well. But um we're pretty well prepared or as well prepared as we can be at the time, but still a lot of pressure to cope with.
0: Yeah, but uh but certainly that college experience um has set you up well to to deal with with the experiences that you've since had.
1: Yeah, for sure. I think, um, yeah, I, I think I grew up as a gymnast and a person in college, and um, really, like the experience I gained over there was um, huge moving forward in in my world results. I would say.
0: So um, let's move on from uh, last year's World Championships. And let's talk about the post- postponement of the games. Do you do you recall where you were and what you were doing when you first received the news that the games had been postponed?
1: Yep. So um, me and the Australian team, or well, uh, Minnie Morgans and James Bakuetti, we'd uh, just flown home from the cancelled Baku World Cup and... Um, just coming to terms with the seriousness of Corona at the time, basically. And we all kind of knew in our hearts that it was going to come to this, like even a week out from when the official word came through. But, um, me and Midi were quarantined. Um, we weren't allowed to go uh, back to our apartments, um, being that we both live with ALS athletes. So we were in quarantine for two weeks and, um, yeah, so we, we got word in while we were in quarantine and yeah, just kinda just kinda let that sink in for a few days pretty much. So yeah.
0: Right. Okay. So um you came back from Baku and you went straight into quarantine and that was purely because um of your um location being there in Canberra being at the AIS so n- not into the gym nothing or just just back in your your own, ha- own home
1: um yeah for that first week we were actually still able to go into AIS because it's more or less um just our training group that is in that hole at the time um Chris is still not really back to full training so he was training at a club for the week um so it was just me, Vlad, Mitty, and James um, in the training hall. And then obviously a week later, everything got shut down. And, yeah, so it was only really for a week in there.
0: All right. Okay. I didn't realise that uh, you guys had already been quarantined prior to uh, to basically everyone else um, having to go into isolation as well. It's interesting. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um. Your quota position—it didn't even cross my mind that—but I heard some commentary regarding whether positions of athletes that had already been selected would still be honoured. Did you hear anything along these lines, or did you, did anything like that cross your mind, or were you concerned?
1: Uh, I think I—I I thought. I think I saw a few uh, things just through social media of. um Basically, news outlets wondering what would happen um, on that front, but honestly, it was it never really uh, qu- crossed my mind that um, they would take away that um, all those positions that had already been qualified and um, earned by athletes across the world. Um, I think it was something like fifty-seven percent of athletes had already qualified uh, at the time of postponement, and uh, just to make it a big task even greater or it would make a big task even greater for them to take away that and have to host all those same competitions again. And, um, yeah, so in the grand scheme of things, it didn't really cross my mind. I, I just kind of safely assumed that it would kind of cross over, but yeah.
0: Hmm. <laughs> it would have been nice to get that confirmation though.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think um, for friends and family, it was even probably weighing on their minds a bit more than mine almost. Um, I think my mum called me up when it was made official and she was in tears and all emotional and uh, <laughs> she was yeah, such a weight off <laughs> friends and family's shoulders as <laughs> well as mine to have that officially come through. So. Yeah,
0: for sure, for sure. Uh, So what I'd like to do is uh, just go back over the last 11 months, so basically from last year's Australian Championships in May um, through to World Championships and then on around through to Baku and just get an idea of what your training load, competition load was like. Uh, You had a training camp in the Netherlands before going on to Stuttgart and then post-World Championships, um, how how your training – changed and then the ramp up back into the World Cup season. Can you take us through, um, be it with uh, any injuries you're dealing with, your training load, how many sessions a day you were doing and as you're ramping up to the World Championship selection events as well that were in there?
1: Uh, yeah, so I guess coming off the back of Nationals, Nationals was uh, something of like the Continental championships from what I remember with New Zealand to uh, see who could send a full team. Um, Yes. And so we won that and we're able to send a full squad of uh, five guys to Worlds, um, which is nice. And then that kind of takes a bit of weight off the World Championships selection. And then um, so from, yeah, moving on from nationals is kind of a bit of downtime in terms of routine numbers in the gym and more so uh, kind of playing around with new skills and trying to ramp back up to uh, world trials and qualification there. But, um, yeah, so normal training weeks would look like four, four double sessions a week. Um, two of those are weight sessions, um, one session Wednesday and then one session Saturdays uh probably usually be three to four of those days be routines the others would be basics or skills or light days um yeah and then uh so world championships trials went well from i remember i think i think i hit the first day um reasonably well hit my um upgraded routine that i was going to compete at worlds and then i think day two i might have missed on the connection um but did enough day one to earn my spot um yeah and then yeah this year we're fortunate enough to fly out to the netherlands for a training camp with the uh the dutch guys in um fk's onlin's gym so something of a huge idol of mine and I think especially Mitty Morgans um, being one of the probably greatest of all time on high bar at this point um, and still going strong. So that was awesome. Training He's, a, he's, gym. he's um, a, he, They had a...
0: Sorry, he's a he's a super nice guy as well, isn't
1: yeah. he? Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. Um, we've come... Yeah, we've got a pretty good relationship now. Like, me and Mitty uh constantly making finals with him, and so he gets to hang out a bit and yeah super nice guy can't speak highly enough of his character so,
0: so the camp in uh in the Netherlands, how long was that and um uh do you, do you find especially for i think we had three debut, um three on debut going into that world championships uh did you find that that was a really good beneficial for them to get uh involved in a, uh, a world championship campaign and a camp like that prior to going to world championships so they're not overawed by the talents and by the the names of the sport as you mentioned epk but there are many many others as well
1: uh yeah for sure i think looking back on that camp was probably the best thing we could have ever done in preparation for that world's so. um my my training going into that camp was was okay, but like um not quite where I wanted it to be. And then going into that camp just kind of solidified everything I had and um kind of yeah, we had a friendly competition with Netherlands, Spain and uh Guatemala I think. Um And everyone did really well there, actually, Um, or at least showed really good uh, glimpses of what they could put out there at Worlds um, a few weeks later. It was, yeah, I think it was a 10-day camp out there, training on podium the whole time. And then, um, yeah, and then I think we caught a train out to Stuttgart and started the Worlds campaign.
0: So post-Worlds, um the world cup season hasn't finished cop was or will get started in in late november in in copus in germany uh you chose not to go to that event um so how was what did training change to f- from october through to ramping up into the melbourne world cup
1: um yeah so coming off the back of uh qualification in worlds i was um, yeah, I just wasn't, I felt a little bit mentally burnt out after Worlds and didn't really, um, feel like making a big trek out to, to Cottbus was, uh, in my best interest at the time. I think I wanted to work on some new things and have a bit of downtime from competition. Um, at least until December where we had, uh, the Toyota Cup and so started, some back into routines two weeks out from two weeks out from Toyota Cup and then um yeah it was a successful competition so I was really happy with how that year ended up. I think I made the right decision on Cottbus and then um some downtime and then getting ready for, for Melbourne pretty much.
0: So Melbourne came and went and it was sort of the beginning of what we were hearing about this virus that's, that's going around and some interruption that was possibly happening. But none of us, apart from the Chinese team that couldn't make it out because uh, that's where the, the virus uh, started, uh, we really didn't have a grasp on the impact it would have not only on the gymnastics community but across the world. So uh, just just... Let us know what, uh, what took place in Baku, which is in Azerbaijan, for those who aren't aware, which was the World Cup a couple of weeks after um, the Melbourne World Cup. Um, what happened there? What part of the competition were you at when it, when it was cancelled? And uh, as you said, you came home and went into quarantine. So um, just your experience from, from Melbourne into Baku
1: yeah um yeah so like you said during Melbourne World Cup it's just kind of we're hearing word coming out here and there through the news, but uh couldn't ever picture the level to which it would grow to um just a few weeks later really um and yeah, so yeah two weeks after Melbourne World Cup, we're out in uh Baku and um yeah, the virus is starting to grow and become uh a much much bigger bigger thing than anyone really imagined and um yeah walking into the stadium every day in Baku they would have uh heat heat sensors to test people's temperature and uh record if they have a fever and um yeah and then a few officials gymnasts were showing readings on those uh on those uh temperature calculators I guess and um, I think Ray uh, Zapata, a Spanish gymnast, was put into hospital for 48 hours or something um, and came back negative and couldn't even compete in floor qualifications, which was pretty crazy. And then, um, wow. Yeah, so I guess qualifications still went ahead at that point. Um, I, yeah, I made high bar final on the Friday of qualifications and then. By Friday night, um, back at the hotel, um, there was all this kind of commotion outside in the hallway, and um, a few different countries were freaking out that they wouldn't be allowed back in to uh, back home. Basically, like the Swiss and Dutch guys were hearing word that they might not be allowed back into their countries, and were packing their things and trying to jump on the first flight out of there, pretty much. And then five minutes later, I get the call in that. World Cups cancelled, and um, the Azerbaijan government has shut it all down, and for everyone to kind of find the first flight home. And so, yeah, we packed our things, and um, yeah, had our flights rearranged just to, to try and get in before um, any cut-offs for, for international travel were put in. So it's a pretty crazy time. <laughs>
0: And then home, and uh, straight into uh, self quarantine, more or less, which we've been in ever since, really. So um, you came home, and um, and as you said, you were you were in the gym for a week, just just the group that went to um, went to Barku. Uh but then uh, the AIS, uh, it's a government facility, um, it decided to close its doors, so. What notice were you given? Um, yeah, so how um, much time, and did you take any equipment home? What? Uh, what? Yes, go ahead.
1: Yeah. yeah um, so, yeah, we were back in the gym uh, straight away that week. Pretty much, like I said, it was just just a handful of guys that were at World Cup. We were back in the gym for about a week, um, and then the following week. We had our normal morning session on Monday um, and then basically by lunch we're told to come in and uh, sat down with, um, yeah, Andrew Logan um, and then basically told, yeah, AS is shut indefinitely and, um, yeah, I have to figure out alternative ways to train. So I think I, I took home some parallettes, weight vests, a few dumbbells and bungees and um, Swiss ball, whatever I could think of really, (laughs) what I I could fit in my car and that was it. (laughs) Now, yeah, but um, yeah, so that follow. So,
0: um, sorry, keep going.
1: Yeah, that uh following week we were, um restrictions still weren't too tight in terms of going out of the house. Um so we were uh our squad was kinda of working out in those one of those outdoor um kind of workout stations with kind of like chin up bars and some kind of metal P bars. But um yeah, so we'd do some conditioning and whatever we could on that for that week. And then by the end of that week, that was banned as well. So it was uh, kind of back to square one and everyone doing their own homework, home workouts basically.
0: So you, you mentioned, uh, yeah, you were told – the, the facility's closing and you need to find alternate training arrangements. So what what is your training schedule look like now and, and what's involved?
1: Um, yeah, so right now we're basically in coordination with like our, our S&C coach, um, our physios, obviously Vlad every day um, and yeah, basically – I think it's a bit individual, individual, uh, individualistic. <laughs> um, like I, I kind of write my own program. My mornings kind of look like a strength and conditioning workout, um, pretty heavily on bodyweight exercises and handstand um, programs just to stay on top of that kind of stuff. And then in the afternoon I'll maybe do a bit more of that and then go for a Go for a run, or go play basketball, or whatever I can really. Um, just do some bit of cardio, and and then um, we're still working with our S and C coach to try and get some weights on loan from the AIS gym, and then uh, yes, yeah, try and get those uh, into the program, and then staying on top of whatever physio and rehab we can. So yeah.
0: Okay, so it's starting to look like uh, what everyone else around the country is doing really, um, but uh, you, you have a, a specific outcome that you've qualified for being the Olympic Games, uh, so that must help with your motivation. Uh, but is there anything you're doing in particular for, uh, for your main apparatus being high bar um, that you're doing to try and stay connected with that piece of apparatus?
1: yeah so it's a pretty pretty um tough one to replicate anywhere really, but um just doing a lot of uh chin ups and even just max length holds on um some bars near my apartment um and yeah, just kind of going through any body weight stuff that I can kind of relate back to hiwa. I'm not terribly worried about um, uh, like calluses and all that. Like they'll go away and come back, and I'm not too worried. But um, yeah, just trying to stay in the best shape possible is the biggest thing at the moment, so I can kind of hit the ground running um, when the time does come that we can be back in the gym. So.
0: So that's an interesting one because one of the questions I was going to ask you was about. Um, keeping your hands in condition in regards to grip strength and calluses. And you mentioned you're not too worried about that. They come and go. So on that, is there – you're not too concerned about time off the apparatus? You think you've – I guess this is where the importance of having such solid foundation work and basics in place, um, you'd be able to pick that up and get back into the swing of things once everything gets back to – what we call normal.
1: Yeah, pretty uh, pretty much like for me it's, it's basically like I can't stress about what I can't control right now and um, obviously um, stressing about um, skills and high-wire routines that I can't really train or do anything about is, yeah, just not of use so I'm just trying to, I'm not, I know uh, the skills and routine I had in place for the last year or so I know I'll be able to get that back reasonably quick as long as I'm in good shape um the muscle memory I think will still be there um for a long time yet I would say um and then yeah so I think sometimes I'll uh do a bit of mental training even still and just try and go through some skills um and routines in my mind and what I would feel, what I would think in each part of that routine and skill. And um, yeah, staying on top of mental trainings um, is probably the best way I can still train high bar at the moment, I would say.
0: Tyson, that is gold. What you just said then is absolute gold uh, and music to my ears because there's a lot of people stressing at the moment. uh, And for for young adolescents and young young um, uh, young gymnasts out there who are aspiring to achieve what you you have come to achieve, uh, and the first thing you mentioned was you're you're not going to stress over something that's not in your control, and this is this is coming from someone who has recently qualified from for the for the Tokyo Olympic Games, has had that that um, those games postponed, so there's another twelve months of waiting. Um, on top of what would have been the the, the dates, and then you go on and say about the the importance of that that mental rehearsal or the understanding of of what you 're doing, what you can do, what you know you can do, what you 're comfortable doing, uh, and what you can control and that is absolute gold for anyone out there listening to this because here we have someone at the top of their sport internationally, not not just domestically. Um, and I, I think that is so important for, for the, uh, those who are much younger and have the same type of aspirations to hear that, that at this period of time, it's okay. Take a break. Just stay in touch. Keep on top of your fitness. Keep on tot- top of your flexibility. You mentioned doing handstands every day, so important in our sport. Um, so thank you for communicating that because that's, that's such a valuable piece of information.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think I think that's been my biggest thing from from day dot where it's all started going awry. Is um, I've always been a big believer in yeah, concerning yourself with what you can control and everything out of your control is not worth the stress and anxiety. Um, obviously, that will still affect you if you let it. But um, yeah, being con- just staying grounded and. What you can control and what you can do in the is, yeah what I, I've i been trying to do lately and um yeah it's probably the best and, advice I can give to everyone really
0: yeah that's, that, that's fantastic um so the last question I have for you really is about if you have had any injuries of late that that you've been able to get on top of and um if you don't mind telling us if, if you have had any injuries, what have they been and what have you been doing?
1: Yeah. Um so probably my biggest one was um I had a bad crash off high bar uh a week out from leaving for Worlds last year. So September probably. Um probably one of the worst crashes I've had. Um and had some bone bruising in my back in uh That didn't go away for probably about a good five or six months, I reckon, and it was still kind of lingering even now, and I guess it's starting to calm down with the workload decreasing a little bit, and um, yeah, back injuries can be pretty intense and long-lasting, and so it's rare that we get to give it this bit of a rest, and so I guess that would be one of the things I've been able to get on top of, as well as a few uh, lingering rest issues that um, have popped up throughout my career. So, yeah.
0: So, in some ways, a, a blessing in disguise is that as much as you, you wouldn't want the delay or the post of the Olympic Games, uh, it's, this has forced everyone to, to take a break in some way, shape or form, and that hasn't necessarily been a negative uh, outcome.
1: Yeah, it's definitely um, one way to look at it, for sure. Um, I think uh, with the games, if they were to run this year, I think, um, yeah, I, for the most part, I would have been carrying a few uh, niggling injuries, I'm sure, like like everyone, every gymnast, really. Um, but, yeah, a blessing in disguise in terms of being able to get on top of a few of those uh, that have been hanging around and just really needed some time off more than anything.
0: Tyson, you've been extremely generous with your time. Um, so thank you very much. Uh, we'll finish up the, the interview now. But uh, really appreciate you uh, giving, giving of your time for the podcast. And I'm sure, and I know this is going to be received um, very, very well and be one of the most popular episodes that I've done of the podcast. So thank you so much. Is there anything you, you would like to add before we, we finish up?
1: Um, yeah I just want to say uh huge thank you for having me on the podcast um I think it's uh a great uh initiative you're doing here being able to especially nowadays where everyone everyone wants something to do and needs something to listen to and um yeah if anything we can do to grow the gymnastics profile in australia is is good so um yeah love what you're doing.
0: Uh, Thanks for that. I would love to have you back on at some point in time. We'll see how long I keep going with this podcast. Um, But in the meantime, uh, all the best to you and your training mates uh, and to your coach uh, as we get through this period and then as you build into uh, another international season, hopefully sooner rather than later.
1: Yeah, for sure. Yeah, thanks for having me, Ron.
0: So what did you think? Thank you to Tyson for being so generous with his time and open about the current state of his world within the landscape of gymnastics at the highest level. I'd love to hear your feedback on this interview, so please reach out to me on Instagram at Commission or the MGA podcast Facebook page or the Mag Commission Facebook page. So until next week, goodbye.